Hello, welcome to This Week in the ACC, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. I'm one of your podcast co-hosts, Jeff, and my Twitter account is at TalkinACCSports. My co-host and podcast moderator, Matthew, he can be found at ASD underscore Hokey Smash. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces our guest. Well, thanks for that great intro, Jeff. And we've got a pro with us here tonight. This is the longest running all uh, ACC podcast in the United States. This is episode, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, I believe this is episode 440 tonight. A really long tenure for us. I mean, it's been it's been a great it, we we've just had a great great time together and it's been one of the best it's been it's been what i think it's one of the best podcasts out there in the on the internet that probably nobody knows about because we're kind of the uh the grassroots acc to acc guys i guess but we we're we're getting a lot of content a lot of contacts on the uh hits on the on the site at all sports discussion we're at uh, the tw- the site Twitter account is at AllSportsDACC, and like I said, I mean we're just we seem to be getting well known as the longest as the one of the go to ACC podcasts in the country. So we have a return guest tonight, and as I said, we've got a true pro here with us tonight. It's Dan Caro, the owner and operator of TreadmillHorse.com. You can follow Dan on Twitter at at treadmill horse that's at t-r-e-a-d-m-i-l-l-h-o-r-s-e dan welcome back how you doing before we start is there anything that you want to plug and tell us about yourself the floor is yours happy new year sure thanks for having me on guys uh i'm excited to be back i always like chopping it up with you guys and talking acc um you talk about how it's uh like maybe under-recognized. I like this podcast because you stick to talking about the ACC and you don't get off on like other topics like other podcasts do. Like you, you pretty much strict, like deal strictly with the ACC and their teams and what's going on and like football and basketball. So I appreciate that. Um, anything I want to plug, the Twitter account, like you said, uh, your listeners can follow me at Treadmill Horse um, on Twitter. And then other than that, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. During basketball season, that's the place to follow me because I do most of my uh, basketball discussion on Twitter. During football season, that's where I put more content on the website, uh, like weekly previews for the Virginia Tech football team, um, season previews, and then just do like a little bit of analysis there. But other than that, it's mostly on the Twitter account. And so thanks again for having me. We're happy to have you back. We're happy to have you back, Dan. So let's get right to it. Who was your ACC men's basketball team of the week? And we're, we're going to ask you to answer a flip side question here on your most disappointing ACC team. So I would say my team of the week is Clemson because they just keep cranking out wins. And, like, I've been, like, really impressed with their squad, like what, Hunter Tyson and Chase Hunter and PJ Hall have been doing like I'm really most impressed with them just at the way that they're like able to like they have really balanced scoring across their team they got a big win over Duke this weekend like more like solidifying their place at the top of the ACC so I continue to be impressed with Clemson I think they're doing great things and like I don't I don't really see that team slowing down I mean 
they kind of had an up and down non-conference, uh, but they've really turned it on now uh, since ACC play started. Uh, so I expect them to continue winning. We'll see how, how things go from here on out. Uh, my disappointing team of the week is Miami, just because I was expecting a little bit more for them. I thought they had a chance to get a statement win this week at NC State. They weren't able to get it done. Um, and they also seem to be struggling in their road games. So I think that, like, I'm just waiting. I think that's a really good team. I think Isaiah Wong's great. I think that they they can put together a really strong resume for March, but, like, they, they're still struggling in those road games. So still waiting for them to turn it around and start putting a couple of road game wins together. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm not going to blitz Miami too hard because I think NC State's a lot – they're a lot better than everybody thought they were at the beginning of the season. I tweeted about this, and I think I probably influenced the blog for – maybe I'm giving myself too much credit, Jeff, but I influenced by a blog post, I think, this year that a lot of these guys that were on the hot seat, like Brad Brownell is a good example, uh, Jeff Cable is another example, Kevin Gates is another example – these guys that were on the hot seats, they all seem to be doing pretty well. And I, I think, you know, and we'll get to this later in the podcast, but I, I think that, I think the NCAA, I think the, the ACC is going to have a pretty good NCAA, NCAA tournament presence in terms of number of teams. And like I said, I'm not, I don't want to steal too much of your thunder here, Dan. So we're going to get to that later here. But I, I you know, they, this is a, this is a much deeper league than I think people give credit for, and I think that we're seeing that here early, earlier in this season. Yeah, and I won't jump ahead, but, like, yeah, I think the number of teams that actually get into the tournament this year from the ACC is good. Definitely better than last year. And I, I really think they're, they're, they're putting together a pretty nice resume conference-wide for teams that are either going to be solidly into the tournament or at least, like, have a, a resume that puts them on the bubble for consideration. Definitely, definitely. All right, thanks, Matthew. Um, Dan, let's let's look ahead to the week ahead. Uh, which ACC game are you looking forward to the most this week? And as I was scanning the schedule, there are several uh, really intriguing games with ACC standings implications, NCAA implications. Uh, I think there's a good there's a good slate of games to choose from here. So I got to the one that I'm most looking forward to is Virginia Tech at UVA, mostly just to see how Virginia Tech bounces back from like this long losing streak that they, they've been on since losing Hunter Couture during the Boston College game. So all the Virginia Tech fans are trying to see if Hunter Couture will be back for that game at UVA this week and see if like they can get off that losing streak. So that's one I'm really interested in. For the league as a whole, I'm interested in that Miami at Duke game, like for a couple reasons. Like I think both those teams are really good. Um, I think Miami, like like I mentioned just a second ago, like can they get a big win on the road? Can they go into going to Duke and get a pull out a win? So that one will be exciting. And like we don't know if Duke will actually remain ranked this week, so we'll have to see on that. But like Miami and their ranking and taking it on the road at Duke, I think I think it'll be exciting to see what happens there. Yeah, I think that that Miami Duke game is a great choice because they are two, um, you know, quality basketball teams, you know, that that have a lot of upside, but also, you know, you know, have their weaknesses. And, and you know, we saw what they did non-conference this year. You know, Miami has um, 
you know, a win over over Rutgers. Uh, I think they got a, a win over Providence, if I can, re- if I remember correctly. Duke has beaten Ohio State. Uh, they've beaten Iowa. Uh, I think they've beaten uh, Xavier too, who's who's really strong. But I I, re- I really love this this matchup though, because I, I, Duke can really defend. Uh, if if Coach K had had a team that was committed this much on the defensive end the last uh you know five or six years when his teams you know really struggled on on that end of the floor he'd probably had a couple more final fours and maybe a national championship uh but they can't shoot that's the problem that they they are a horrendous perimeter shooting team and uh, you know i was i was at the Clemson Duke game this weekend. And I was like, you know, Duke does everything well. They defend, they move the brawl around on offense. They hit the glass, they get good looks, but they just can't shoot. Um, if they ever get that solved and maybe when Roach comes back, that's going to be better. Um, you know, I, I think that Duke has a pretty high ceiling if they can get that together in Miami. Um, you know, you kept talking about that matchup they're, they're as skilled as basketball team as any in the ACC, especially one-on-one. You, you try to defend them one-on-one, um, forget it. Uh, you know, every, every one of their players seems like they can handle the ball, shoot, uh, but they struggle on the defensive end. Um, so it's like strength against strength and weakness against weakness in that one. And, uh, you know, both of those teams trying to get into that double bye, trying to position for the NCAA tournament. Um, I love that matchup. That's going to be a great game. Uh, you know, looking ahead to those games this this week, you know, which ACC team do you think, Dan, should be on upset alert? So for me, I've got Clemson on upset alert going into Wake Forest. So the game's at Wake Forest. I just think Steve Forbes' teams are really tough to play on the road, um, as I think a lot of teams have found out, like in the past couple of years, and specifically this year, Virginia Tech and Florida State both found that out. So I think that'll be a, a tough test for Clemson, like another another opportunity to take their unbeaten record and just prove that they're worthy of it. Um, Tyree Appleby is playing awesome. Cameron Hildreth, like both of those guys have got like a strong guard lineup and just to see how Clemson does against that lineup on the road. Like I think that's an interesting one and like Clemson better watch out. They, they can't take Wake Forest lately. Yeah, that, that's that's a great call, Dan. Um, I, I also think that's that's where Clemson's winning streak uh, in the ACC will will come to an end, and and it's not anything um, where where I think it'll it'll explode Clemson in any way, or you know, I I just think that's that's a really tough matchup. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to run the table in, in the ACC. You know, no one expects them to go twenty and zero, and you know, Wake Forest ha- has felt like an NCAA team most of the year, but when, when they're right, when they're right. I mean, they won at Wisconsin. Um, they should have beat LSU earlier in the year. Um, and, and when they're on their game, they are a definite tournament team. And they're, they're starting to build some real consistency uh, in Winston-Salem the last couple weeks. And, and, and this just feels like a game that that Wake Forest, I think, is, is going to be able to, to knock off Clemson as well. Uh, 
you know, Clemson, your ACC leader by two games, but uh, I think the win streak, uh, I'm going to totally agree with you. I think it does come to an end at Wake Forest. And I say Wake Forest kind of like a team like Virginia Tech that they have like a, I'd call it like a solid resume so far coming out of early conference play and non-conference, but they need to get those Q1 and Q2 wins. If they can't get those in, like I think they're going to be stuck on the bubble. So it's just a good opportunity for them to get a, a big win with Clemson coming into town. Yep, absolutely. Great point. Um, let's look nationally. Is there a national hoops game that you're looking at this week outside of the ACC? Well, again, like talking about teams going on the road. So I've got like two games that I'm looking at, and there are two top 10 matchups going on this week. One is Kansas going into Kansas State. So that's one that looks really interesting. And then the other one is UCLA going into Arizona. Uh, both top 10 matchups, both matchups where the higher ranked team is going on the road. Um, I think that's just an opportunity. A, like you're you're playing at that point for like uh, seeding in the NCAA tournament, like seeing if you can secure a one or a two seed. And I just think those are big opportunities on the road against against tough tough squads to see if you can go on the road and get those wins. And like, those would both be like really strong wins for their resume. And like I said, it's like the, the opportunity to make sure to see if like you're actually worthy of like that number one seed from the committee. All right. Um, Dan, if the selection Sunday was today, how, how many ACC teams are in the NCAA tournament right now. And I'm going to be really intrigued by your your answer here because I think what kind of needed to happen for, for the ACC to have strong representation in tournament, what Matthew was talking about, was that the, the top, you know, eight, nine, or ten teams kind of had to really separate from, from the bottom where, you know, that, that bottom is, is absolute anchor on the ACC this year. There's no other way to to say it, you know, Louisville, uh, Florida State, you know, just were horrendous at a conference and th- and their computer numbers are going to pull down the conference as a whole. But I-, I think those those top, you know, eight, nine or 10 teams have kind of pulled away to kind of say, hey, there's a real distinction between, you know, the top two thirds of the league and, and the bottom third, which which, uh, you know, benefits to conference when when you look at it across the whole, there's there's not you know a team there sitting at nine. Do you think oh are they as bad as as Louisville uh, or you know uh, Georgia Tech or they got the same kind of you know are they losing t- to a Florida State? Uh, I think they've separated. So I'm kind of a uh, intrigued and, and interested here in your answer of how many NCAA teams do you see from the ACC? Yeah, so this is a great question. So I'm really projecting this based on like the resumes today. I'm not really looking forward to like who's going to go on a winning streak and who's going to go on a losing streak. It's really like judging it based on today. So as of today, I've got seven teams from the ACC in. I've got Virginia, Miami, Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, and Pittsburgh all solidly in. I think if the if the if selection Sunday were today. I think all those teams would, would get in with like room to spare. So I, I'd feel all good about all those. Um, and as of right now, I've got Virginia Tech and Wake Forest on the bubble. Like I mentioned before, I think they have got pretty solid resumes, but they still have work to do. They, they need to beef up their Q1 and Q2 wins. Um, so right now, I think both of them are, are on the outside looking in. 
if either one of those teams gets hot, starts putting together like a winning streak or starts like checking those boxes in the Q1 and Q2 columns, I think both of them can get in as well. Um, but right now they, they've still got both got work to do. Yeah, Dan, and I totally agree with you. I think I think seven's the number right now. And I, I think come March, I think seven's going to be the number as well, barring like something, you know, crazy happening, you know, like a, and, and it, it could happen too, like a bubble team, like a NC State or Wake Forest losing to Louisville and, and, and just kind of ripping up their net numbers. Um, but I, I think I think seven's going to be the number in the end, which would be an improvement over five of last year. Um, you know, if, if you look at the conference, you know, one through ten, um, I, I would I would put it up against in, anyone in the country. But certainly the bottom the bottom pulls the bottom pulls it down. There's there's no question uh, about that. But I, I think seven is a spot on number. I'm not going to I'm not going to rule out eight. I think I think there's actually an actual chance yeah. of eight. Yeah, I think I think eight is I also think eight, eight is not out of the question. Um I, I do think seven will end up the number, but I, I think I think there's a there's a pathway to getting eight teams in. Yeah, I mean if Virginia Tech pulls a turnaround like they did last year, I think that would get them into the into the tournament. But obviously like that was a pretty big tournament turnaround. They started out two and seven, and then like ultimately ended up like winning the ACC in the tournament and like getting that automatic qualifier. Um, but like if they can start turning around and put a pretty decent win streak together here later on in the season, I think that would probably be enough to get them in. Uh, and for what it's worth. I don't think that Virginia Tech would have to win the ACC tournament if they had a decent winning streak because unlike last year, the Hokies actually have some non-conference uh, wins that can help them out this year. Yeah, I mean, after non-conference play, it seemed like Virginia Tech was almost a lock to make the make the tournament. But after going, I think it's 0-5 at this point, to, to well, after the UNC game, so 1-5. Um, to start ACC play. I think that's what's really put their resume in jeopardy. Um, but other than that, I think they had positioned themselves well to make the tournament. But, like, um, having Hunter Couture get injured and then <laughs> being in a little bit of a slump to start ACC play, I think that's that's hurt their chances a bit. Uh, it's true. It's true. I agree with you. I just – my sense is that if they can get a winning streak going, you know, they, they don't have – they have a, would have a little more capital – than they had last year, but they have to get a few, they have to, the Hokies have to get a few wins on the board first, you know? So that's, that's a separate issue. <laughs> that's a separate issue. Open microphone time. What do you got for us? Yeah. So like I, I've come on your podcast a lot before and talked about a lot about bad NCAA decisions. I want to talk about a good NCAA decision. So one thing that's been a big concern for me in recent years is how, between NIL and the transfer portal, it's essentially become every year free agency for all players that um, if somebody offers you more NIL money to go play there, you can go ahead and take that NIL money and transfer and essentially transfer as many times as you want. And we've got a couple of examples across the NCAA where you've got guys who have switched schools like three times in the last three years. Uh, but the NCAA is like putting in a change to the transfer process 
They're going to continue to allow student athletes a one-time, no questions asked transfer. But then after that, their transfer must be approved. So if as an undergraduate, they're trying to transfer more than once during their like original four undergraduate years, they're going to have to approve those transfers. And I think that that's good just because it's going to keep the, the NCAA football, specifically division one football from becoming just like free agency, like the pros, but instead of like being under contract, it's free agency every year. I think it's a good decision to put some limits on that. And I think the NCAA has done a good job of making changes to that transfer process um, to keep it from becoming a free-for-all. Oh, wow. The free-for-all comment. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think a lot of people thought, I mean, I think, I, Dan, I think I, I think we're already there at the point where it's a free-for-all. Free for Did you all see that? that article about that LSU gymnast who's monetizing her social media and my, and, and, and is basically making six figures right now. I think I sent a copy of that. I'll have to send, send you that after this. If you haven't seen that, Dan, it was an article in the post. We're already there. And I'm, I'm wondering how to, how to, how to bring the, how to, I, I hate to say it, but how, how to bring the, all the animal, uh, how to bring the, how to bring how to bring everybody back into the barn? I think at this point there's no bringing it back into the barn, but I think there is putting some common sense rules around it, which is where the transfer process and the transfer portal comes into play. Um, I think you're always going to have guys switching teams based on NIL, um, but you want to keep put some limits on that or put some guardrails on it. Um, and you you mentioned six figures. I've heard. NIL no, 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 she was this, seven. She's seven. Seven figures. Yeah, I mean, like, there's big She's money seven. being thrown around these days. So, she, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think you're. I don't think you're. You're putting the the horses back in the in the barn after after this one. I think. I think you just need to put some things in play that it's not just every year free agency, which is what I started to get pretty concerned about seeing all these player movements in the off season. That like it's it's not a good thing if it's every year free agency. And any good player on any team could go get a better NIL deal somewhere else. I think I, mean, I think that's bad for the sport. It's so ridiculous with this athlete from LSU. I mean, in part because she, and I, and I'm not judging here. I mean, this is just what I read in the post, right? Where she apparently has such a presence on social media that it's caused security risks at LSU uh, gymnastic events. Like they have they have all these these 40 year old guys that are waiting asking you know a- asking to see how she's doing and waiting to meet meet her and one of them apparently asked one of the the ESPN analysts like are you her are you her mom sort of thing you know what i mean and i'm like okay this is a bit this is just a a little a little strange a little, stra- a little strange but i mean people are you know in this era People are allowed to monetize, you know, monetize whatever they want, whether they get a contract for, you know, for, you know, American Eagle Outfitters, which is something that she has a six figure deal with them or monetize your social media like your Tic Tac, Instagram or whatever. I mean, and by the way, I would never use I'm just going to say this in my personal opinion. I would never use TikTok because I know who the owner is. So 
I advise, I'll just say this. I adv- you can use TikTok at your risk. Anybody, all of your listeners, you. But I will never use TikTok. And so I, I, it's, it's. It, I'll, I'll have to send you that article after after we have this podcast tonight, Dan, because it was it was real eye opening to me. Yeah, the the strange thing to me in that situation is, do you make the athlete that's getting a, a seven figure NIL deal pay for their own security? Or is that on the LSU athletic department now that they have to provide security for this? Um, they are for this well-known personality. They're apparently pay, paying for it, Dan. It's it's so weird. It's such a bizarre situation. But in this day and age, when you've got well-known personalities like that that draw a big following, I mean, you you, you don't want to put yourself in a bad situation. No, oh, no, I know, and I think for LSU, it's a, it may, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because she's bringing a lot of people to their events that they probably wouldn't normally get there, so they're getting ticket and gate revenue and merchandise sales and you know entertainment sales and and food sales and all these other sales sales that they probably wouldn't normally, I guess, perhaps get. But it's that was one of. I, I, I'm just going to send this article to you uh, on it when we're <laughs> when we're done when we're done with the podcast because I, I, I gifted it earlier today for Jeff and we can you can read it and let me know what you think let let me know what you think Jeff you're up buddy what's your open mic um in in the past week uh, Kevin Warren the former Big Ten commissioner has has moved on to uh, an executive position with the Chicago Bears. And one of the candidates uh, that we've seen kind of thrown around for, you know, whoever the next Big Ten commissioner is, is is current ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips. Um, he, Phillips was was a candidate the first time. Uh, this this was open a, few, a couple of years ago when Jim Delaney um, left that position. Uh, I'm not sure this is such a bad thing for the ACC if if Phillips were to to necessarily move on. Um, you know, he he's he's had Jeff. His Jeff. priority list is one, two. Hello, Jeff. Do you have questions about his strategic yeah. planning? Uh, I've got some questions about the strategic planning, uh, his communication uh, going on. Uh, Does anyone even actually know if he's still commissioner? Has anyone heard from him in like six months uh, since since football season, since since the basketball, um, you know, media days? Uh, His his priority since he's been commissioner, uh, number one, number two, number three, four, five is is to raise ACC revenue and. You know, when he first came in, the the Comcast deal got completed, but I thought that I think that was on its very much on its way to being completed um, even before he came aboard. And since he's been here, um, we haven't heard anything about revenue, nothing. Uh, So it it might, uh, you know, he hasn't been commissioner for all that long. So should he remain? I mean, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, maybe something is in the works. Uh, But I don't think it'd be the worst thing in in the world if he moved on and and the ACC really went after a a, a much more energetic, uh, charismatic personality um, to lead the conference. Someone who's much more aggressive than what Phillips has appeared to be. Um, like you said, Matthew, you know, someone with a strategic vision. And even if Phillips has such a thing, uh, 
in the in this is this this climate in this day and age if you have a strategy you need to just go ahead and tell your your constituents and the people that are you know um you know fans of schools in the conference you know what that strategy is i'm not because, obvious it's not obvious to me <laughs> yeah i have no idea what it is because uh these days in this climate uh silence may not necessarily mean inactivity but it certainly feels like it and 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 it gets treated as such so um yeah we'll see what happens with that job but if, if jim phillips were to move on uh, i don't i don't think that'd be the worst thing for the acc sounds like i should reopen that reopen that dissertation that they had from virginia tech in 1985 and ask the same questions jeff what do you think, Dan? Should I go back to Virginia Tech and reopen that study from 1985 that Virginia Tech published, that a student at Virginia Tech published on the ACC's strategic uh, strategic planning and find out whether those questions were reassessed? Well, I mean, it'd be more of a plan than what Jim Phillips has. I got I was dubious about Jim Phillips until this past summer, where I was completely out on Jim Phillips, and here's why. When they asked him about the conference expansion, he started crying about like other conferences living in gated neighborhoods. And that was his only response to that question. Like the other conferences are eating the ACC's lunch and he's over here crying about gated communities. So, I mean, that's, I'm over it. Like if he wants to take the big 10 job, go for it. Like, I think we can find many other better candidates than Jim Okay, my open microphone time. Uh, since I have a Virginia Tech guy on here, Dan, I got a couple questions for you. Today, what is your largest con position concern about the Virginia Tech football team going into next year? Because I have, I certainly can tell you what my top three concerns are, but I'd like to hear your top three concerns. But give me your largest one, and then. We I mean, I could name every position group on offense, but um, let's start with the most important position on the field, which is quarterback. Uh, Virginia Tech absolutely needs better quarterback play than they got last year. Um, also of concern is offensive line, because like the offensive line um, pass blocked okay last year, but the run blocking was, was pretty terrible the entire year. So I'll put um, offensive line two. And then they just had no speed at wide receiver at all whatsoever last year, like zero. Like the wide receivers could get no separation from the DBs. And this was all year long. They, were, they had one somewhat reliable wide receiver in Caleb Smith. Other than that, they got no production at all, at all from that position group. So I'd say those are my top three in order. Quarterback one, offensive line number two, wide receiver number three. They, they definitely need to work to correct those three position groups in the offseason. So I agree with you in principle. I, I guess for me, I had the offensive line and the quarterback flipped, but you could say that's a one and one A sort of thing. But I've I've always thought, and I've talked with Jeff about this several times, right? With Jeff, Jeff and I are pretty much on the same page on this. You, you've pretty much on the same page on this. I mean, quarterback absolutely is the most important position on the field, but you win games when you win battles in the trenches. And I think if you give your quarterback some time, you know, they can do a little bit better than we probably thought they could have. And it's absolutely true that Virginia Tech needs better quarterback play. 
But that offensive line, boy, it needs an overhaul in a hurry. And I had that, I had that at the top of my board because I'm I'm used to seeing plowing lines at Virginia Tech. And I mean, and this was this was like driving through syrup in a lot of cases for each of the each of the each of the you know each of the ACC opponent each of the ACC opponents. I mean, I, I, except for when we played Boston College, who probably had one of the worst offensive lines in the country last year. Um, but I, I, I have that, I have that at the top of my, I have that at the top of my board. You're right. We could go through, I think with Virginia Tech, we could go through a lot of position groups where they, where the Hokies need help, where the Hokies need help. Do you see some help on the way for the offensive line? I mean, I think they have some good young guys, um, like waiting in the wings. The thing is like the, the whole thing just hinges on like, can Joe Rudolph get more out of that group than he did in year one? Like year one, like they're learning a new, like his new system, like it didn't go very well. I I think that they were trying to be what you described. They were trying to just like be like a tough, big offensive line run over their opponents. But like the offensive line that we had was not used to that type of system. And then when that didn't work, we didn't have anything to fall back on a different, like, offensive philosophy to fall back on it was either that or nothing and so it turned out to be nothing like the offensive line and the run blocking never gelled and the the Hokies offense never got out of neutral and that's the way it was all year with another offseason with more planning with more film like knowing what you've got there like I, I do think they have a chance to be better but the amount of youth on the offensive line still like is a concern. So I, I do think they probably need to do more in the transfer portal. And I'd imagine that they're working on that. Uh, but right now, like, I mean, I would expect similar results next year, like barring like a major turnaround, just based on the personnel we have. Why isn't Rudolph going to Fargo or to Brookings, Dan? I, I mean, I'd be on the first plane to Fargo. They seem to, they seem to churn out offensive lines. And at this point, like both Dakotas are chart churning out offensive line so like take your pick but yeah like we, we've got some major work to do i'd say i i'd say you know if any of those guys were in the portal in montana and north dakota or in south dakota i would send rudolph up there on a plane tomorrow <laughs> you know I mean, the, the NDSU's had so many guys go. I mean, I'm actually serious about this. I think they've had more guys go in the to the to the offense from offense line to the NFL than Virginia Tech in the last five or six years. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the logistics of flying from North Dakota to to Roanoke, but like, I, I'm sure it's possible. But yeah, we he'd, he'd have to go to need, Chicago yeah. on United, <laughs> and then he'd have to go up to Fargo from there. So that's how it would work, work out. But, now, let, let's get those guys there. We'll we'll send a bus if we I mean, need to. I'm sorry, Jeff. I mean, I'm just you know I sit here. You know I know a lot about the Bison. You know I know that they can play football. You know I know the Jacks can play football. The Jacks beat NDSU this year because they were more like NDSU and had more of an NDSU offense than NDSU normally does. And it's because they won their battles up front. They won their battles up front. And I want to see. You know I. You know, I, if if we can see some improvement in year two, and then get to that point in year three where you're starting to, you know, give the quarterback a lot more time, you know, then I'll, you know, then I'm going to feel better. How do you feel, Dan, about that QB for that the QB uh, in the portal that came from Baylor? 
I think he's good. Um, I think Virginia Tech's had a lot of QBs like him over the years, like really athletically gifted, like good size, like strong, like really strong arm. But like, can can that guy put it all together? Can like, is the accuracy there? Like, is he going to be able to learn this new Tyler Bowen offense? Like, so there's a lot of unknowns there. I'd call him more of a project. I know a lot of Virginia Tech fans are going to, are hoping he comes in and starts day one. I'm not entirely sure he will. I mean, like, he absolutely has the chance to push for the starting job, but I definitely see him more as a project. Um, but who knows? Maybe they gear the offense tour. Maybe they go to more like a run-based offense, more read option, um, more quick short passes. And, like, in, like, a Gerard Evans-type offense, I think he could probably do pretty well. But, like, right now I've got him labeled as a project. Like, he may do something. He may need another year or two before he's ready to go. Okay, last question. Are you seeing an improvement? Because I think I am, but – I'll, advert, I'll just put this out. Are you seeing an improvement with the the coaching staff's relationships with the with the high schools in Virginia? Absolutely. I mean, it's night and day from what Justin Fuente was doing. Um, and I definitely think Justin Fuente, like, I mean, it wasn't great. Not, like, and talk about not having, like, a strategic plan. I don't think he had a strategic plan. Um but, like, yeah, like, Brent Pry, everything that's off the field, he's done excellent on. And I think rebuilding those relationships across the state of Virginia and making Northern Virginia and Richmond and the Tidewater area, like, a priority, I think he's doing great there. I think you can see, like, some of those relationships start being mended, and I, I, I like his approach. Um, but, yeah, you just got to give it time. Like, people are concerned that, like, in, la- in last year's recruiting class and in this year's recruiting class, Virginia Tech was still underrepresented, specifically in the top 10 recruits in Virginia. I think that'll start to improve, but you got to give it time. I mean, many years went by where those those recruits and those uh, coaching staffs across Virginia felt um, ignored. So like, it's going to take time to rebuild those relationships. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the all sports discussion, ACC podcast. We loved having you come on this show and we would love to have you come back on anytime you want to come on. We, we love having you. You've been a great supporter of this podcast and we've enjoyed having you on over the years. Thank you so much for spending part of your time with us on this Sunday night. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Have a great week, guys. Take care. All right. Bye, guys.